morning, everybody. We'd like to just welcome you this morning, whether you're here in person or watching online. If you are watching online, we'd like to invite you to just comment. Let us know that you're here. And uh, reach out to the online hosts if you feel uh, led to do so. They, they're there to answer questions and connect and talk with you. I'd like to just invite you all to stand with us and go into a time of worship. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Now raise a
Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Give her mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Faithful. Faithful you are.
Thank you, Father. This morning we have a new song that we're going to be singing. It's called You Never Change. I just want to encourage you. Let God be the focus of your salvation this morning and allow his grace that he shows to us be the focus of this song.
Amen. God never changes, and that is good news for us, isn't it? You know, we have uh, an opportunity to uh, pray for our neighbors at Springbrook. There's 350,000 people in our community, and so many of you have signed up to pray for one of your neighbors. And so far, we are praying for over 1,000 uh, different households in our community. And so it's a privilege to be able to pray that God would go before us, uh, preparing the hearts and minds of others for the good news about Christ. And we have a prayer list here at Springbrook. We are praying for so many of you, and um, it's a privilege to be able to uh, just pray over those prayer lists, uh, just whether it's texting for people or emails or you know, something like bless. But we have an opportunity this morning to, uh, to pray uh, together in a personal way. And so I want to invite our, our prayer team to come forward now. So if you're a member of our prayer team, if you're an elder, if you're a small group leader or a staff member here at Springbrook, just make your way up to the front now. Uh, we want to spend this next few moments uh, praying for one another in a personal way. And so if you've got something that you are celebrating or something that we can pray for you uh, regarding maybe an event or somebody in your life, we'd love to invite you to come up during this next song. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, it's a privilege for us to be able to do that. Um, I know that on the far right and left-hand sides of the sanctuary, it's a little bit more uh, quiet. Um, but I just want to encourage you doing this uh, next song uh, to make your way up to the front if we can pray for you in, in any way. And uh, if you're watching with us online this morning, there's a place for you to click that online uh, prayer request button or online our host are with you to pray for you there. But let's let these next few moments up as an opportunity to really seek uh, the Lord. Yeah, just to come before him uh, in a personal way like this. And I look forward to having you up here.
thank you for what you're doing at Springbrook Community Church. God, we've sang this morning that you are always faithful. God, that you never change. And because of that, we have the purpose and the calling to build our lives upon your word, upon what is good. All good things brought from you. We thank you and we praise your name this morning. Bear all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, if you have uh, something that we can uh, pray for you regarding uh, maybe a person, an event, something in your life, and you didn't get a chance to uh, pray with our prayer team this morning, you've got a connection card that's in your seat, and uh, you can fill that out. There's a place for you to drop that in the box on the way back. If you're watching with us online this morning, we're glad that you're with us as well. Um, you can uh, just, uh, there's a place for you to you know, request online prayer. Uh, I think I've got a slide for the next steps here. Uh, there's a phone number you can text here to. Um, and so we just want to welcome you. Uh, there we go. And so you can text uh, here to that phone number. You can also text the word prayer to that phone number. And that prayer request will go right to our prayer team. And we can uh, be praying for you there as well. I just want to encourage you to uh, visit our website. Let us know that you were here. Fill out that connection card. Let us celebrate uh, this day um, with you. And I also wanted to let you know we've got uh, coming up next, we've got uh, our, uh, what's, can you get the next slide for me? Yeah, that, our uh, Springbrook Fall Festival. And so we're going to have on October 28th uh, here at Springbrook, um, we're going <laughs> to, we had our uh, upcoming uh, fall festival. And so we're going to do all their, we're going to do all their prayer. I see you standing behind me. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do that. Are you excited about that? So that's why these slides are moving slow. So we're going to do this first. <laughs> you stay here with me though, because you look good there. And so we've got our uh, fall harvest festival coming up. And so you can uh, sign up to bring chili with you. Um, we've got uh, some fun things for the kids to do. If you want more information about that, be sure to sign up for that. We have our marriage date night coming up. And I think uh, two years ago, you and Kim and Carol and I went out to uh, have uh, dinner together. And I really enjoyed that. And so I had a good time with that. But uh, if you want uh, more, more information about that, you can register for a marriage date night. Um, the tickets are available out in the lobby this morning. Uh, in fact, if you signed up for the Bless Your Home, and you guys think you and Kim signed up for that, if you signed up for that Bless Every Home initiative, praying for your neighbors, um, we have some little postcards uh, out at the Ministry Center counter, and so you can uh, pick one of those up. You can put the, their name on there, just let them know you're praying for them, invite them to the, one of these events, and so a uh, great opportunity for you to be able to pray for your neighbor. And uh, then lastly, I think we've got one more slide here. We've got uh, something else coming up. What's the next one? Put the next one up there. Let me just see what it is. What is it? Yeah, that was the other one. Thank you. <laughs> I knew it was important. <laughs> our elder board uh, last week uh, approved Penny Jerzak as our new children's ministry assistant. And so that is a huge answer to prayer. And so that position has been open for quite some time. Penny actually also serves as our bookkeeper and works with our discipleship uh, uh, initiative as well. And so Penny is a valued member of our team as well as the rest of our staff. We have a great staff at Springbrook. We have great elders at Springbrook. We've got great leaders at, <laughs> at Springbrook. And, and so with that, I'm going to introduce Brian Ford. Brian, it's up to you. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. So as Rich said, my name is Brian Ford, and I have the privilege of serving here as an elder. And so October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So just like Rich just walked off, we appreciate him. And we have four pastors here at Springbrook. Last week we did two. This week we're doing two more. Uh, and so I have the privilege to give more appreciation to my friend, Joseph. So Joseph has been in ministry pretty much his entire life. 
So since he was 20 years old, he's been in ministry. Uh, he's mentored so many men. He's mentored me. Uh, if you want to hear good boxing stories or learn about triopoly, definitely talk to him. But he has a heart for the Lord. Uh, and he serves here as over our pastoral care team as well as our facilities team. So anytime something breaks around this building, all the different teams that keep the building running, he does that. And with pastoral care, he's there. He's there to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. He gives encouragement. He's actually over our helping hands group as well. So if there's things that need to happen and, and you're in a tough spot, Joseph is uh, the, um, the one that would t- traditionally come out and spend time with you and, and try to help you out. So... Uh, we want to just give Joseph a round of applause. He's been here for five years, and so let's uh, give him a little appreciation now. So yeah, hi, I'm Andy Suarez, and um, I am one of your other elders. And yeah, as Brian said, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. We're appreciating them, obviously, all month long. Um, but this month, this week specifically, we're talking about Joseph and Tim. Um, I just want to remind you guys, if you guys have any, any cards or letters or if you guys want to have gifts of some type, um, there's a basket in the lobby. There's like a basket on, on that wall, on the ministry center wall, I think is what it says above it. Um, just feel free to drop that stuff there on the 29th. So in two weeks from now, uh, we're going to be presenting uh, those gifts to all the pastors uh, and on, during the service. So feel free to to try to get that stuff in before then, but if you don't, it's okay. The ga- basket will probably be there, and we'll, we'll get it to them afterwards, but it won't be featured in the time that we give it to them. So um, I want to talk about uh, Pastor Tim Beavis, our adjunct teaching pastor. Um, I have the privilege, Tim's actually in my small group, and talk about a little bit intimidating, uh, but he's in my small group, and I'm leading it, and so I'm, it's, it's fun. But I've really gotten to know him and his family. His whole family comes on Friday nights, and Tim has been with us for a few years now, and he's just been such a blessing on this church. Um, right now he's in Uganda, actually, and he's, uh, they've been training, he trains pastors different places. So these, there's 21 pastors that are graduating in Uganda. Uh, so I just want to, uh, just urge you, if, if, if Tim's done something for you, please let him know that or write it in a letter or give him a gift or something and drop it in that basket. And, uh, I know that they would appreciate that throughout the whole year. Those are wonderful things to be doing for the pastors. So, so thank you guys for supporting our pastors and, uh, Pastor Jeff will be out in just a moment. Thank you. We all have pivotal points of change in our life, don't we? I'm not talking about the small things like trying a different flavor of coffee creamer. We have pivotal points of change, things which are the major things which change the course of our life going forward and we're never the same again. Talking about things that we're not the same person on the backside of the event as we are on the front side. And so when those things come up and they come upon us, whether they're circumstances or events, we have to think, what am I going to do about this situation, you know? How am I going to act? What am I going to do? Am I going to just go ahead and sit in the background? And am I going to allow things to passively happen to me? Am I going to buy a ticket and be a spectator in my own life and just allow things to you know, passively happen? Or am I going to step to the foreground 
Am I going to take steps of faith in concert with God and according to his word and take an active you know, role in what's happening with our situations? You know, there are two examples that I can think of from my own life in which uh, when I think about major changes, this comes up. The first of which is when I felt my call to ministry. So I was in a men's small group. P.S., join a small group if you haven't done so already. Good things happen in those, and you know, God uses them certainly. But anyways, I was in a men's small group, and uh, one evening a gentleman came in, and he was very upset. He was upset with the world. He was upset with his wife, with his kids, with his co-workers. Um, everybody was to blame for his problems but himself. And so, you know, after allowing him to vent for a little bit, um, the mentor of mine who led that group was able to use the word of God both accurately and skillfully in order to walk this gentleman kind of back off of the proverbial ledge. And so at the end of the evening, we felt comfortable letting him go home, and he was in a very much better place than he was uh, before. But um, at the same time that God was using this man to speak to this gentleman who was upset, I'm sitting in the corner and I'm watching God use his word in real time in order to affect somebody's life and change them for the better. And God started speaking to me. And I'm thinking, in my heart I'm hearing, you know, God, are you speaking to me? He says, yes, I want you to do this. I want you to be able to bring my word to others and watch it change their lives the same way as it's changing the life in this man. And so, um, you know, later on, you know, sometimes we have certain ideas in the evening and we think maybe that would be good and then we sleep on it and you wake up the next morning and you're like, that wasn't such a good idea. This wasn't that type of an idea. It was still something that was front and center in my mind. It was a, a calling, something, you know, that I couldn't deny. And so even though I had felt that God had done his part in reaching out to me, I still needed to take steps of faith in order to make that happen. For an example, you know, I needed to receive an education. Believe it or not, they don't just let anybody come off the street and come up here and teach on a Sunday morning. Usually there are some credentials or some qualifications that you have to have in order you know, to teach people God's word. And so prayerfully considering, I decided that I was going to attend you know, beautiful Moody. And there's a picture of their you know, downtown campus there. And so you know, I had to take the step of faith of you know, finding and joining a seminary. Additionally, I had to make provisions for finances, and so I had to take steps of faith in that direction. Because even though they're cheaper than other schools, they're still not free. And so there had to be sacrifices that had to be made on my end and my wife's and my family's end. Um, additionally, I had to arrange time with my employer so that I could have time to go, you know, take classes. And so, you know, I love my wife and she sacrificed a lot of, you know, vacations and other time with me so that, you know, I could take classes. Um, additionally, and you know how it is, if you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else. And so I really had to allocate my time carefully and take a step of faith that I was doing the right thing and spending all of this time and energy pursuing this thing you know, that God had called me to. And so that's one example I can think of. Another is not such a good example. One time I was with my wife who uh, grew up with a congenital heart defect and we were in a cardiologist's office and she sat down and she said to us, uh, Sarah, which is my wife's name, we have done all the surgeries, we have done all the medications, all the different therapies that we can think of to do for you. Essentially, you have a year and your heart is going to give out and you're going to pass away. The, the only thing that we can think to do for you is to go ahead and put you on a heart transplant list. It's something that carries its own risk and it's not an easy process, but it's you know, something that you, know, you can consider. And so my wife and I obviously you know, hit our knees and we were uh, you know, praying out you know, to God and just asking him to provide healing for her or however that might look like. 
And originally, she actually didn't even want to receive the transplant. She was concerned that somebody else had to give their life so that she could live. And she had some you know, reservations about that. But we eventually went ahead and recognized God's provision for us you know, through this avenue that we had in order to save her life so that she might be able to be with me and with our kids. And so, um, you know, we took some steps of faith after recognizing God's provision, and we had to choose a health system. And so we chose um, Northwestern Memorial, and uh, my wife waited three months, you know, before she received her heart transplant. And just a funny picture there, you know, one of the, one of the good ones that we have. So uh, girls having some fun with some medical masks before that was cool. This was in 2018. Um, and they were also from her small group, P.S., joining a small group. So I'm shameless about that. But we were taking, you know, steps in order to move forward with this provision that God had, you know, made for her to, to stay with us. And so not only did we have to choose a health system, we had to choose, you know, doctors and work with them. We had to jump through hoops with insurance. And then luckily she came through the transplant surgery and she's doing so well five years later. And I'm, I'm so grateful for what, you know, God has done for us through that. But... Thank you. She'll be here later today. You guys are going to make me tear up. I'm not going to be able to preach. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but we still have steps of faith that we're still taking with medicines, with lifestyle choices, with just different things that we're relying on. You know, God's wisdom is given through these, um, you know, doctors, this, you know, medical um, ability that they have to to keep her going. And so we're still reliant upon God and taking steps of faith to keep her healthy, to keep her um, going and and, um, not only just living through life, but also enjoying it. And so this is the third week that we're in our sermon series for our trite, not true study. Um, Trite statements, meaning statements to use, you know, with caution. So there are statements that either are half-truths or for the one today that we're going to take a look at, which is let go and let God Actually, if we take it on face value, it's actually incorrect or is not true at all. Now, and I know what you're going to say. We're not here to police speech. I don't want to do that, nor are we going to do that. And I know that some people use this particular statement because they mean it to um, let God do his portion you know, of uh, you know, what it is that needs to be done in this particular situation. And so you know, sometimes there may be the, uh, you may push back and say, I'm not going to actually let go or disconnect completely, but... You know, these statements are statements, again, that we should use with caution and for good reason. You know, number one, we might consider how these things are influencing us and our thinking about how God works in our lives. Or if we're talking to a non-Christian or somebody who's really young in their faith, when we use language like this, what kind of ideas does it give them about the way, you know, that God works? And so, you know, we want to be really careful and think about, you know, how we use some of these terms. And so that's why we're taking time to look at them. Um, I want to take a look at this statement here today, let go and let God, from a few different angles. The first of which, we have today's um, statement, let go and let God. And then in two weeks, we're going to take a look at God helps those who help themselves. And those are statements on either end, and I think both are equally incorrect. One assumes that God is going to do everything, and I'm not an active participant. You know, I just sit back and kind of, you know, buy a ticket to the show and watch what it is that happens. On the other side, God helps those who help themselves. We're going to step out, not in faith, but we're going to step out in our own power, and we're going to do things regardless of, you know, God is in it or not. And so, you know, both on either end would be incorrect, but each of our situations, if you think about it, should be somewhere on this spectrum in between. There's both a divine component where God does the things which he's going to do, 
and then in concert with his will and his word, there are steps of action, steps of faith that we're to take. Another way I was thinking about it here, you guys remember the phrase, a couch potato? I got to explain that some of my students might sitting here not knowing what that means, but a couch potato essentially is somebody who um, sits on the couch, and all they would do would be to watch TV and they would play video games. Today it would be playing on your phones, right? <laughs> you see that everywhere. But you're just a lump, though, that's sitting there, and it's, it's no good. It's a pejorative term. It's a negative term about somebody. It means you know, that you're you know, very healthy and you're kind of no earthly good. And so what I would submit to you is that God does not call us to be spiritual couch potatoes, to be passively just watching the things that it is that he does. Instead, he asks us to be active participants and take steps of faith, again, in concert with his word, in concert with his will, in order to join him in what it is you know, that he's doing. And so um, we're going to look at a few passages here, but for the main one, I think, is we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, if you want to start turning there. And so uh, Nehemiah, I wanted to use just kind of like a case study so I could give you a lot of proof text and different verses, and we're going to talk about some of those too. But I just want to take a look at what Nehemiah did and use them as a case study, because you can put yourself in his shoes. You can take a look at his situation, and we'll explain some of that. And then maybe as you're thinking about Nehemiah's situation, maybe think about the things or the challenges that you're facing. Maybe if you're willing to make some of the same choices and some of the same decisions that Nehemiah is going to make. And so again, we'll take a look at Nehemiah, and we'll just start here with the first couple of verses. Nehemiah chapter 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And so I just want to unpack some of this background here so that you can put yourself in issues because there's a lot of kind of loaded language. Um, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that Israel at one point became a divided kingdom. And so you had King David, and then you had his son Solomon, and then Solomon's son Rehoboam made some really poor choices, and as a result, the nation split. And so you have the northern kingdom was still known as Israel, but the southern half, you know, became Judah. And so when we take a look in our text here, and it says certain men from Judah, that area near Jerusalem, this is where these you know, men were coming from. And so you know, that's where that term comes from. Also, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that the people of Israel sinned, and they were you know, very wicked in God's eyes, and they had lots of, a couple good kings in the south, but mostly bad ones, had all bad kings in the north. And so in 586 B.C., under King Nebuchadnezzar, he came into um, Judah, and he took all of the people who um, were helpful to him. So anybody that had, you know, money, anybody that was educated, anybody that was you know, kind of important, and he took them all, you know, out of that area, and he moved them into, into Babylon. And those are the kind of things that we read about, like in uh, the book of Daniel, for an example. Continuing on further as well, um, we know that uh, the Persian Empire overtook the Babylonians. And so when we read about you know, Susa the citadel, this is the capital you know, of Persia in which Nehemiah is now uh, putting himself, placing himself and existing. And so we can actually see, because these are real places with real people that we're reading about, and so there are actually ruins of this place you know, which you can't visit today because it's in Iran, and I don't want any of you to go there right now. But nonetheless, these you know, places are here for us to uh, view and understand 
And just lastly, when they talk about the exiles, so the people that had you know, gone into Babylon, something that Persia did was they allowed the exiles from these places to go back to where they were from and to resettle their lands. And so actually up to this point in Nehemiah, there had been actually two groups of people who had been allowed to leave um, you know, where they were, and they were able to go back and you know, start to work on their homeland, the land of their ancestors. And so um, you know, Nehemiah is... Um, appealing to certain individuals who have come back from this experience, and he asked them for a report as to how the city is doing and how the people are there. And the report that he gets is not a good one. So let's continue reading. We're just going to do one more verse here in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Then they said to me, um, The remnant there in the province who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates destroyed by fire. And so again, the report here is that the city is in bad shape. The exiles are struggling. And, and so Nehemiah has to make a decision here is how is he going to react to this news? What's the next thing that he's going to do? And I say to you in your situations, how do we react when we get bad news? Is it something where we trust God in a particular situation? Or do we get overwhelmed by everything going on around us, all the different noise and, and you know, things going on? Do we rely on God, or do we just rely on what we perceive with our five senses? And so Nehemiah, we'll see here, turned to God to do what it is that he could not. Nehemiah certainly let God, not that he had to let him, you know, but he appealed to God, but he certainly didn't let go of the situation. He wanted to be an active participant with God in what it is that he was doing. And so we're going to continue on, you know, in Nehemiah. And um, we're going to see here that Nehemiah prays, appealing to God, not according to Nehemiah's will, what it is that he wanted to do, but rather appealing to God's will as expressed in his word. So we'll continue reading on in uh, Nehemiah um, chapter 1, verse 4. And we take a look at his you know, prayer. Nehemiah, as soon as I heard these things, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so we get the sense here that, you know, it's something that's really affected him personally. And he's gotten rid of any sort of the, you know, pleasantries, anything, you know, between him. He's being raw and real before the Lord here. Verse 5, and he said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and who keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, statutes, and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And so Nehemiah is not under any illusions here that they're just going to coast back into you know, the promised land he still got to acknowledge some of the things that happened beforehand. And he owns it personally. He's saying, not only the sins of my people, but even my house. We have sinned and acted corruptly and wickedly against you. And so he's in this place where he's ready to return to God and calling on his people to return, as we would see if you read later on in the book. But then he does something here in talking about God's will. This is important if we read in verse 8. He says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them 
and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Then he ends, now I was the cupbearer to the king, which we'll talk about in a moment. But if we see here in verse 8, Nehemiah appeals to God, but he appeals to God through his covenant promises through a passage that's found in Deuteronomy 30. And so in essence, he appeals to God in order to fulfill his word. He's saying that if we return to you, you know, if we admit our fault and we turn our hearts and rend them and turn them back to you, you have promised in order to restore us back to the land in which we came from. And so he knows God, God's word, and so because he knows God's word, he knows his will, and he's appealing him to do his will through them and through him as a person. And so I just want to take a, a side here because we have Nehemiah is sitting and he has a choice to make. He's going to decide, do I let go and let God? Do I just kind of check out at this point? You know, I've prayed, I've done what I can, and I need to let him do his part. Or does he need to take a step of faith in order to effectuate or bring about God's will in this situation? Is it something where, you know, again, he just steps back and he just lets you know, God work? Or is he going to step forward and recognize the provision that God has made and do something about it? And so this is often where we also stop in our own situations, if you think about it. You know, we pray, and sometimes maybe we're paralyzed because we don't know if we're going to make a wrong choice one way or the other. And so, you know, are you on the outlook for the provision that God has made for your particular situation? Do we need to take steps of faith, you know, or are we just going to, again, retreat and passively allow things to happen to us, to buy a ticket and be a spectator in our own life? I would say not that we would let go and let God, but rather we would let God and that we would join him in what it is that he's doing. You see, in the New Testament, he, he talks a bit about you know, what it is that he's doing, and he has some things that he wishes for us to do. In the New Testament alone, there are more than 1,400 what they call imperatives or commands or things in which you know, he speaks to us, and he tells his people, you know, do these things. They're action points. They're things that we do, of course, in, in the Spirit's power and in concert with you know, God working through us. But there are things, nevertheless, you know, that we do, you know, with our bodies and our minds and our voices. We play an active part as a participant in what he's doing. Just a couple of examples. Make disciples of all nations. And the, the beginning part of that is go. You know, it's another action word. And so I preached on that, you know, a couple of months ago, if you want to take a look at that sermon. But there are a bunch of action points is something that, you know, that we as people of God do. Another one, bear one another's burdens. If you're going to bear somebody's burdens, you have to get involved in their life. You have to play the part of, um, you know, comforting and, um, you know, loving that person and have an established relationship in order to do that with them. But again, it's something that we're called to do. We're to be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Being kind is a conscious decision, you know, that we make, and it's something, you know, that we have to do and that we're called to do, you know, in God's word. And so God puts us to work, and he works in us, but he also works through us in order to accomplish his will. That's some other passages that I want to review with you here. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I know my kids memorized 8 and 9 a couple weeks ago for Awana, but it's unfortunate sometimes that's where we kind of stop because you know, the second half is just as important as the first. But 
It says, for grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's, a, it's the gift of God is our salvation. We don't contribute. We don't uh, bring about our own salvation. That's a work that God you know, does in us. And it's also not a result of works, so we're not going to get to heaven and be talking to each other and say, hey, this is how I got here, or no, this is how I got here. It's none of that. It's all you know, because of the work of Jesus Christ. But if we continue you know, further, you know, once we become you know, believers in Jesus, we become God's workmanship. We become something which God can use in order to reach others. The verse continues on in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that walk being a New Testament euphemism for uh, the path of life that we take, something that we do. Again, it's a call to action or a point of action that he calls us to. You know, we don't simply let go and let God. Again, we let God and we take steps of faith to join him in what it is that he's doing. Um, a couple passages that come from the video that you'll watch this week in your groups, um, if you on right now in media, so he highlights, so I just want to spend a little time with him, um, you know, but he goes a bit more in depth there. But the first of which, um, this is probably a common passage that most of you have you know, memorized because it's a very um, you know, important one to many. But Paul speaking here says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so we see here that God is at work in us you know, to start with. Okay? And then if you continue his line of thinking a little bit further, we go down to Philippians 2, uh, 12 through 13. So you know, God is at work in us. Why? Well, he says here, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, check out this part here, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so God works in us so that he can use us as instruments in order to effectuate or to bring about his will for certain situations. He uses each one of us in our own situations that we're holding on to, and he wants to um, you know, grab onto us and show us you know, his will for that situation, what it is that we're to do in order to help him. And so we're going to return to Nehemiah here. And so we have you know, the, the background, we have you know, the report that he receives, we see his prayer, and now we're going to get to his response. So again, keep yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. See if you would do the same thing which he did here. Um, now we're just going to backtrack just a little bit. It says at the end of chapter 1, Now I was the cupbearer to the king. If you don't know what a cupbearer was, it was the person who took wine for the king so they could see if it was poisoned before they gave it to the king. So it's kind of an important job, but I <laughs> would want to be one that I would particularly care for. It's kind of like being a secret service agent. You, know? you have to jump in front of a bullet sometimes. But in this particular place, Nehemiah, even at the end of his prayer, was already seeing God's provision for how he might accomplish his will in returning the people back, the exiles. So we'll continue reading in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, so he's the cupbearer, he's bringing the wine, I took wine and gave it to the king. Um, now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And so, uh, just to explain this, you know, the king, he was very much afraid, you know, because um, 
He had the idea that, you know, he could take anybody's life at any point he wanted to, essentially. And if he was having a bad day, and you were causing him to have a bad day by coming into his presence by being sad, you could be the one that he gets rid of. And so, you know, it makes sense here that he says he was, you know, very much afraid in this instance. But he's also making a conscious choice to change his disposition so that he can get the king's attention. So we have those two in concert here. He's taking a risk but he's recognizing the provision that you know, God has potentially made in order to help his people. Verse 3, it says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. You know, don't be upset that I'm sad in your presence. You know, live forever, king. So good, good backtracking work there. But he says, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? What are you asking for here? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So even in that moment in which he's taking a step of faith, he's including God in that process. Lord, please guide and direct me as I talk to this king in order to try and um, bring about your will, you know, with the exiles who were in a bad place. And I said, if it pleases, and I said to the king, excuse me, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, the letters be given to me, uh, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber beams for the gates of the fortresses of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy and if you'll see here, um, it says that the king granted what I had asked, and Nehemiah recognizes it's because the good hand of my God was upon me. He took a step of faith, and he was walking through what it was that you know, God had put on his heart. And so he's given the permission to go back to Jerusalem. He's given provisions so that he even can start to rebuild the place, which was a big deal, because you didn't want to give provisions to somebody that might turn around and you know, bite you back, right? And so what he's asking for is, is no small thing. And so I mentioned that you know, God was putting things onto his heart. There's a couple places in which we can see this in Nehemiah. He's, he talks about in Nehemiah 2.12, this thing that God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And so you know, God is speaking to him, and, and he's listening. Another place in Nehemiah 7.5, then God, God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and officials you know, for you know, this uh, genealogy to be taken. And so now I need to start talking, though, about the elephant in the room, right? If we're going to not let go in God, but we're going to take steps of faith and we're going to do his will, how is it that we understand what the God of, will of God is? You know, how are we going to know that we're doing the right thing and we're doing it in concert with his word and in his spirit and not doing something that's in our own power, not something that he would have us do because we're helping those who would help themselves? And so um, just a paradigm I wanted to share with you, and this comes from a really good resource by uh, Bill Thrasher, who is a Moody professor of mine. It's called Living the Life That God Has Planned. And so he talks here about, you know, how does God speak to his people? How do we know that, you know, we're moving in concert with him? And I'm also thankful to Pastor Rich for letting me use this because he's wanted to do so for the past couple of weeks. And he saw me reading and he said, I'll, I'll let you use that. So He's kind to me in that way, but, but this is uh, very good and important. Um, so the ways in which you know, God speaks to us, the primary way is God speaks to us through Scripture, right? And so 
uh, when we're reading through Scripture, we can see, you know, um, that, you know, God is speaking to us there. In some places, it actually says specifically, you know, that this is the will of the Lord or, you know, this is God's will. First uh, Thessalonians 4.3 is one of those places where it says, this is the will of God, is your sanctification, that we would be made uh, more like his son, Jesus Christ, and would go into that process of uh, being able to be sanctified and more like, you know, his son. Another way in which, you know, God speaks to us is through the prompting of his spirit. When I was sitting in that men's group that evening, and I, you know, was listening and watching this happen, this is what happened to me. God was speaking to me through the prompting of his spirit. And maybe some of you have been in that situation before where um, you're undergoing these pressures and we just need to take time to listen to what it is that God might be trying to tell us. And we often do that through the reading of his word. And as we're reading to his, his word, sometimes God again speaks to us through the prompting of his spirit. Additionally, God speaks to us through other people. And so there's some situations like the one where you know, this gentleman was you know, coming upset. He was using that group leader in order to speak to that man. So he didn't go home and start bloviating and, you know, yelling at everybody about a situation. Instead, he was able to use, you know, you know, God's word and speak to him directly so that he was able to kind of walk it back and get to a place where he was a bit healthier. And lastly, God speaks to us, you know, through circumstances. So there are events, there are opportunities which come across, and we can, you know, discern from those that this is, you know, God's word, excuse me, God's will for us. Uh, an example being, you know, the transplant surgery. He had made a provision for us in order for my wife you know, to be with us, but he brought about that you know, circumstance. It was something that he brought you know, to the front, and that's something that we then had to walk through. And just something very important to see, and I can see it on the side screens here, but I'm sorry that it maybe you know, got cut off up here. I'm not sure how it shows up online. But the thing is that all each of these, you know, bottom three, number two, three, and four, speaking through the prompting of his spirit, speaking through other people, and through circumstances— all get filtered back up into God speaks to us primarily through Scripture. So if we think we're having a prompting of the Spirit, but it's something contrary to what God's Word says, we need to filter that back up and discern that this is not God who's speaking to me, but you know, might be something else, and you know, kind of a scary thought. Or God speak to us through you know, people. I don't know, has anybody had people come up to you and say, I feel like God was, is telling me to say to you, you know, maybe it, that's true, but it's something that you want to take back, you know, through Scripture and see if, in fact, they are uh, speaking a word from God or if it's coming from a, another place, which is sometimes the case. Or through circumstances. So maybe you have an opportunity that comes along, but it's something that's going to put you into a place of sin. That's not called God speaking to us through circumstances. That's called a temptation. And so that's an, an opportunity that we wouldn't see as coming from God because we would roll that back and see that, God speaking to us through Scripture would say, you know, do not you know, do this thing. And so I, I hope that this has helped for you in some way as you're thinking about your situations and, you know, how God might use this in your life so that um, you can hear him speaking to you and, and decide what kind of steps of faith am I willing to take. I'm not going to just let go and let God. Again, rather, we're going to trust God, and I'm going to join him in what it is that he's doing in my life. Just a little bit of an aside here, our student ministry, you know, director, you know, Kyle Smoot. Um, I, are you here, Kyle? And he might be outside, so he's, he's greeting students like he should be as, you know, they come in for the 11 o'clock service, so, but um, I love that man already. He's, um, we have wonderful leaders for Thrive, which is our youth group, but um, I wanted to congratulate him because this time next week, Kyle will be a married man. So, <clears throat> 
<laughs> I hope he hears that if he's out there. We'll have to <laughs> tell him about it later. But, um, but I kind of brought it up not only to congratulate him and actually ask you guys all to pray for him. You know, that's a, a very big step of faith that he's taking, you know, coming up here. But I have a semi-selfish reason, you know, for bringing this up. So if you don't know about, you know, how Kyle and Emily met, um, Kyle was in a men's small group one evening. Again, join a small group if you haven't done so already. <laughs> That's the last time, I promise. So, but he was in a men's small group, and he was just kind of lamenting the fact that, you know what, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to meet somebody. You know, a beautiful, godly woman is not just going to walk through the door of the church. And so, you know, they humored him a little bit, and they prayed for him, and guess what happened? <laughs> Emily walks through the door of the church, and so, you know, God, again, is making provision for him. You know, he asked for something, and he received it, but again, he still had to take steps of faith in order to make that relationship work, right? He couldn't just completely let go and stand across from the atrium and stare at her like he's, you know, creepy or something like that. He had to walk across, and he had to introduce himself to her, and then they had to build that relationship. And then he had to take a further step of faith in asking her to marry him. And he's going to take another step of faith here this week in um, exchanging vows with her and becoming husband and wife. And so, you know, we're so happy for him. But, but you can see here, again, that he's not willing to let go and let God. He was willing to join God in what he was doing and bringing his spouse through the door and, and um, you know, getting to know her. So, um, lastly... You know, if you have questions about anything that we've been talking about here, if you uh, need prayer, if you uh, have a question about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you want to uh, text and tell them that the associate pastor talks too much about joining a small group, all those things you can text, again, next step to 844-238-7507, and we will uh, gladly respond to you and, and try and help and answer any of those questions you may have. But would you pray for me, please, with me, please, rather? You can pray for me, but I'm going to pray for you now. That's how this works. So, um, Lord God, thank you for um, just how you're speaking to me this week, and I pray that you would be also speaking to um, the people out here in this crowd and just help them to know what your will is. Either speak to them through the reading of Scripture or through the prompting of your Spirit or uh, bring somebody across their path that would be able to bring um, you know, your will to them. Or, you know, they may be coming to a circumstance or an opportunity that comes across their way in which um, they know that it's, you know, coming from you. And so, Lord God, I just pray that they would be open to hearing what it is that you have to say, that they would be listening, and that in these situations that they would not um, let go, but again, that they would trust you and that they would join you in what it is that you're doing. And so, uh, bless them. There are some very hard situations, tough things that people are dealing with. And so I don't uh, make light of that in any way. But I know that you are big enough in order to take care of all of the issues which they have. And so may they come to you in faith. May they trust you. And then may you show them how it is that they're to step forward with steps of faith and get going. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue in worship this morning. Creating one God Almighty, 
us this morning for joining us for our corporate time of worship, declaring 
our God's name and what we believe and how we believe in him. And I want to thank you for joining us for our corporate um, message and our corporate teaching. We hope to see you next week. But until then, go in peace. Let's love and serve our awesome God. Thank you.